All right, folks, welcome back. It is episode number 44 of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. Jeremy Spector is here. Randall J. Sanders is here. I'm Ronan O'Shea. 44, Randall. May as well call this the Kyle Farnsworth experience. That's all I want to talk about tonight. Kyle Farnsworth for the next 90 minutes. It's the Kyle Farnsworth episode, and at some point, one of us is going to bum rush Paul Wilson. Well, I was thinking about Kyle Farnsworth today. I was getting excited thinking about the show, and I will say this. In my life watching Chicago Cubs baseball from, I don't know, the mid-90s, let's say 1995, through this rough season that we just had, Kyle Farnsworth remains one of my favorite relief pitchers, certainly one of the most entertaining. I think that's fair, Jeremy. When Kyle Farnsworth was on, he had multiple seasons where he was on as a Cub. He was electric. I love Kyle Farnsworth. I can't be alone there. Yeah, and he was good when the Cubs were good. Uh, You know, 2001, he was very good, and the Cubs were very good. 2003, he was pretty good. The Cubs, you know, were pretty good. I, You know, I'm going to make a little reference, because every time you say the Kyle Farnsworth experience, I'm going to make a reference that Randall's going to get. I I just hear the Farnsworth Parabox. So that's just just what I keep hearing. Good news, everyone. I don't get it. I know you don't get it. I was waiting for Randall to get it, but he just kind of was, you know, pretty – but whatever. Uh, Kyle Farnsworth, you know – I always think of him funnily, funnily enough. I always think of him when he first came up as a starter. Yeah. Because Wood came up in 98 and he was this hard throwing right hander and he had this amazing season. And then Wood was out in 99. And that's when Kyle Farnsworth came up. And I was like, oh, we got another hard throwing right handed starter. And I kept expecting him to like put up like Wood did, but he immediately moved kind of the bullpen after not too solid of a year in 1999. And, and he really found it in, in like 2001. So Kyle Farnsworth, you know, number 44. He was traded for Bo Flowers, who played for the University of Illinois football team when they went to the Rose Bowl. How about that in 2007? So uh, I always got love for Kyle Farnsworth. Former Rockford Riverhawk, Bo Flowers, gentleman that I met back in the day. I like that you brought up the starter, though, because that's the Kyle Farnsworth I first remember. And Kyle Farnsworth was a 47th round pick by the Chicago Cubs in 1994. 47th round, Randall. He gets picked up by the Chicago Cubs. He finally gets to the majors in 1999, 21 starts for the Cubs in 1999. And I think that comp is fair, Jeremy. And you got to remember too, we take it for granted now because every pitcher in baseball, except the Cubs starters throw 95 plus miles per hour. When you had Kerry Wood in the rotation and then Kyle Farnsworth initially in the rotation, that was not the norm at that time in baseball, even in the late nineties, he was a big guy. He was an athletic guy. He threw very hard, made 21 starts in 1999, five starts in 2000 and then found his groove in the bullpen really in 2001. But baseball players weren't built like that. A guy like Kyle Farnsworth, you can envision today in current major league baseball, but he was sort of ahead of the time, maybe in the late nineties, along with KW. Definitely. And and speaking of his size, like he pitched until, you know, the mid 2010s. Right. But I just want to make a point on what, what you said about him being a 47th round draft pick. He that's something that you don't see today because that's not allowed today is what Kyle Farnsworth was. He was a draft and follow. He was drafted out of like a, a, a small school, probably a two year school. And the Cubs, you know, draft, they drafted him in the draft in June of 94 and they didn't sign him till May of 1995. So they followed him all across the whole season, saw how he was pitching that year. And then they signed him like, a, you know, just before the draft. And that was a thing that used to be pretty common. Uh, I think Mark Burley might have been a drafted follow at the time. And that was out. That was banned. Like, I want to say like 15 years ago where they make, you know, the, you have to sign like within two months almost or a month now of the signing deadline. But that, that's a thing 
you know, you would, you would see that as commonly guys, they would wait in the late rounds and then they would pick a guy and then see how he does. And if he's good, you'd sign him right before the draft. Jeremy, you pointed out that Kyle Farnsworth came out of a very small college, Adam Baldwin Agricultural College in <laughs> Tifton, Georgia. It, it may not surprise you to know he is one of only four major league players to have reached the major leagues out of that school. But uh, obviously you, there's so many Kyle Farnsworth stories to tell. One that sticks with me is uh, when Yahoo Sports was one of the preeminent internet sports resources, they actually had bios written for every player. And when I mean every player, I mean guys as obscure as Jimmy Anderson, who made a couple of appearances for the 2004 Cubs. And it was always fascinating reading those. And what I remember about Kyle Farnsworth's short bio is that somebody had to dig up what his college major was. I don't remember what it was, but I remember it being the equivalent of like basket weaving. Like they implied as nicely as they could that he was at that school to play baseball. And that was about it. Yeah. And Randall, I, I don't know if you're thinking uh, too much about Gamergate or too much about just being from New Trier, but it's actually Abraham Baldwin, not Adam Baldwin. I, you know what? You're right. Sometimes, sometimes the old eyes move faster than the brain, Jeremy. It happens. The actor from New Trier who got very involved in Gamergate is yeah, Adam Baldwin. A Abraham, Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College in Tifton, Georgia. My sincerest apologies to um, all of its distinguished alumni. Kyle Farnsworth pitched for the Chicago Cubs 1999 to 2004. Um, it, it got kind of bad towards the end on his time on the north side. And you're thinking, all right, here's a guy reaching his late 20s, a hard thrower. Maybe the career is going to come to an end. But Jeremy, you're right. He ended up having a 16-year big league career. Kyle Farnsworth's career in his post-Cubs days, he's with the New York Yankees, he was in Kansas City, Tampa Bay, he was around. He played for multiple teams, ended his career in 2014 playing for a couple of teams. Kyle Farnsworth threw nearly 1,000 innings in his major league career. And he struck out just shy of 1,000 major league batters. That's a pretty impressive career for a relief pitcher, a guy who had longevity. And later in his career, when he started to lose that velocity and that fastball, as guys do when they age, found a way to keep it going for multiple more years. A finish with six and a half F war, a two war season for the Cubs in 2001. But I'm impressed by the longevity. Because I, this was a guy that by 2004, I thought he's running out of time in the majors and he made it go for another decade. It's very impressive. I mean, you, if you play Major League Baseball from the age of 23 to 38, that's a full career. That's that's, you know, front and back. You bookended it pretty good. Now we've got, you know, he was kind of trade. There was probably a lot of teams out there that, you know, needed somebody. He kind of threw hard. He looked like he was decent. And then they probably got tired of him. But somebody else was always on the other line being like, let's pick him up. So he played for a lot of teams and he was able to make it work. But it's a pretty solid career, you know. And, and as mm -hmm. I said, the Cubs trade him for Scott Moore. Bo Flowers and Roberto Navoa, all names I vividly recall. I remember seeing yeah. Scott Moore when I was out there in like 2005-ish, 2006-ish, maybe even 2007 uh, in the bleachers uh, when he was called up for his cup of coffee. Uh, funny you say his career FWAR. We know Kyle Farnsworth would definitely say FWAR. <laughs> not, not a fan of the uh, advanced statistics. No. He's a ball player. He's he doesn't mess around guy. with that. He goes on the mound and he strikes guys out. And he did that over 16 years in the big leagues. And then he plays football, semi-pro yeah. football. Well, there was multiple years there where he was a Cub where you kind of thought sort of tongue-in-cheek, like, oh, maybe he could end up on the uh, middle, not middle linebacker, but some type of position on the defense in football. He certainly had good form and then had the professional football career post his baseball days. 
But I got fond memories. I mean, Kyle Farnsworth for me was one of those guys in the bullpen. He threw hard when I was young, getting in and kind of falling in love with Cubs baseball. And when he was on, I mean, an explosive fastball like he had, he was a dominating guy. He was a presence on the mound. And I just have great nostalgic memories of Kyle Farnsworth. If, you know, one of the things I want to get, and I've been talking about this for years, I want to get a 2001 Chicago Cub jersey. I don't wear jerseys with players' names on it. I have one Sammy Sosa. That thing is there forever. But I want a 2001 Chicago Cub. And one of the names that come to mind for me is Kyle Farnsworth. Probably his best year. You know, and it was his best year. And the only problem with Farnsworth, and this isn't his fault, it's just a long name. That looks a little weird on the back of a jersey when I'm not, you know, 6'5 or whatever he was. But Kyle Farnsworth's one of those guys that I just, I've got very good memories of, and he represents a good time of Cubs baseball to me. And and I, I still vividly recall, I think, where I was when that Paul Wilson moment happened. I yeah. was just coming in from uh, playing golf, and I've gotten to the clubhouse, and the game was on, and we were all kind of watching it. And I saw Paul, Kyle Farnsworth just, just decking. I, I don't know if you guys remember where you guys were. I don't, but I imagine Paul Wilson remembers where he was when the Paul Wilson moment happened. He was he might not. <laughs> briefly, briefly suspended in, in midair and route to being a, a couple of inches deep in the soil. You know, we also give Chip Carey a bit of a hard time we have on this podcast. And, uh, I, you know, not my favorite Cubs broadcaster over the years. Good call, though. Racky Iconic tact. call. Racky tact. <laughs> you you and, got any memory there, Ronan? Or no? I don't. I don't. Um, I just remember the reaction to it yeah. and just sort of the hubbub at the time, you know, word of mouth, even yeah. people think, did you see what Kyle, Far- what uh, Kyle Farnsworth did? That's sort of what I remember. And um, the ballpark was pretty new at that point too, in Cincinnati. So any things that were happening in there at that time, it was just sort of different because they went from an ashtray to a pretty nice place to play baseball. Yeah. That was at Oh three or yeah. My memory says 2003. Okay, I'm just asking. I don't remember. But that would be like year three of the ballpark. Yeah. Four, maybe. Yeah. But it was just such a big upgrade. Many of those teams in the National League Central had big upgrades. Um, yes. Certainly Pittsburgh maybe being the best example of it. Uh, mm-hmm. But speaking of teams uh, in the Central and ballpark changes, I was at a Kyle Farnsworth start in 99 at Old County Stadium in Milwaukee. Ooh. And he got lit up. Didn't pitch well in that ball game, but got lit up in every game in '99. It was bad. It was. I remember it being bad. um, But except uh, one, he did have one shutout. I do remember that now. I remember thinking. I feel like it was kind of late to the year, but he did have one shutout, and it was a complete. It was a masterpiece. Well, we will uh, pour one out for Kyle Farnsworth and uh, many, many good memories there. But there are other things to talk about. Looking ahead here on the show, Cubs with a big move. Impacting their starting rotation, we want to talk about Wade Miley. The Greg Brown hire is official, but a new vacancy on the Cubs coaching staff. So we'll talk about the assistant hitting coach position. A couple of Cubs fall stars in the Arizona Fall League. Three, in fact. That's more than a couple, Randall. A trio. We'll talk about them and the game coming up this Saturday. We'll also take a look at some free agency and an injury note on the Chicago Cubs. Colorado native with uh, surgery coming here. We'll see the impact that that has on the Cubs moving forward. But let's start with the starting rotation. End of the season, Jed Hoyer meets with the media, and he basically says, pitching was a problem this year. It's a top priority for us in the offseason. We thought, okay, free agency is going to open up. Cubs are going to be aggressive looking for starting pitching. Big surprise, though, I think here. Even though we know Cincinnati slashing payroll, Wade Miley, the veteran left-hander, 
put out there. The Cubs claim him. The Cubs take the $10 million option. And now all of a sudden here, Jeremy, we have a new starter in the starting rotation and a guy coming off of a very, very good year, Wade Miley. Yeah, he is coming off of a very, very good year. And he's he was always a guy, you know, I always be like, Wade Miley, I don't understand how the Cubs just can't hit this dude. And it would always frustrate me because it seemed like he was everywhere in the division too. And we'd always be facing him. Um, you know, Brewers, Reds. I, I, I remember even, I think we faced him in Houston when he was in Houston a couple years ago. But I, the move, I, I like what the move says, to be honest, because the Cubs are out there. It was, they want, they're taking on somebody else's money. You know, the Reds, for whatever reason, I, I don't know what's going on there, but they put him on, they want to get out of a $1 million buyout, I guess. Um, so they put him on waivers and the Cubs were like, Hey, I don't think the Cubs expected a guy like that to be on waivers. So they pounced and the Cubs had like the fifth highest waiver priority because they were in the same league. So I like it. You know, the one thing I, I, I Jed did say he wants more swing and miss stuff, a lot more velo, something the Cubs need. And Wade Miley's not that guy. But he's not quite the same because he's left-handed. He doesn't really throw a sinker. Or a sinker he used to, used to, but he changed a couple years ago, and he throws a lot more cutters down. He gets a lot of weak contact, and it kind of seems like that's kind of how the Cubs have been focused. But he's been successful the last few years, so I I don't mind having him there. I mean, he's probably like a solid number three starter for them right now. Jeremy, like you said, it, it's what this signals that is maybe more exciting than the player itself. It's like they when they went out there and spent $10 million on a pitcher that they thought could help them. And if I'm not mistaken, that's probably the most they've spent on a single player in the last few off seasons. Uh, Jock Peterson was only four and a half million last year. He had an option this year for about 10 million. That doesn't matter anymore. Uh, it, it signifies they're, they're willing to spend a little bit of money again, finally. And the fact that they did that and got a, a decent and useful starting pitcher who's going to slot in there, hopefully solidly in the middle of the rotation, that that's almost gravy. But it's what it signifies, that they're willing to go out and put some money back into this team again for the first time in a couple of years. I mean, this is a team that didn't have $5 million for John Lester last year. So that mm-hmm. should be very promising. And money has come off the books. Multiple guys were traded. But I, I'm with you, Jeremy, in that I, the Cubs were surprised by this. This was a pleasant surprise. I think they have them sort of fall in their lap, and it's only $10 million. And let's say worst-case scenario, things don't work out. Cubs aren't very competitive next year. This is a guy you can flip at the trade deadline. This is a no-brainer. Worst case scenario here, I guess that would be you know worse than having to flip him to deadline is he gets hurt and you don't get much out of it, but you're still only looking at $10 million. And an injury could be a concern. He's going to be 35 next year. Who knows? But I don't know. Rich Hill's still pitching. There's plenty of guys older that still make it work. So I think this was a great decision for the Chicago Cubs. You can't stop here. The starting rotation still needs to be addressed. But you've got a stronger foundation to start with with this. I'm happier to have Wade Miley in here than just looking at the Steels and the Thompsons and the Alzelais and just sort of throwing the darts there. This feels a little bit more like a sure thing, and I don't think it's out of the question to get two war out of him again next year. The, the adage is there's no such thing as a bad one-year contract because mm-hmm. no matter what happens, you're only into it for a year. So I, it feels like we're all in agreement. This is a surprising but really solid and really appreciated move by the Cubs. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing, Randall. I was just about to say there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. Um, you know, Miley could get hurt, but it, he's just right there. And he's not really a guy that throws very hard. He, he's kind of an efficient pitcher, it seems like to me, for the most part. Um, and, you know, uh, Randall, you make a good point. The Cubs didn't really – this might be the largest contract they've taken on recently. I, I think Jock was more like $7 million last year, but still, this is this – is, 
this is more than that. And and Arietta was what six, like six and a half. Um, so this is this is this is a lot that the Cubs have taken on the last uh, more than the in the last two years. And and you know they didn't really make these types of moves. So it's nice to see them at the start of the off season really put themselves out there, take somebody on um, a solid pitcher. Probably you know him and Kyle Hendricks are probably you know. I, I don't think either of them are really aces today, but you know, they're going to give you probably 160, 70, 80 innings. I mean, that's what Wade Miley did that, this past season. So I, I, I like having Wade Miley out, out there and I, I don't expect a lot of things from him, but I expect good things from him for, you know, a solid, decent pitcher. You know, you wonder too, if you could piggyback him with one of the hard throwing right-handers that I just mentioned there. Uh, one of the young righties, that if Miley's only going to give you five or six innings in a typical start, then throw on a hard-throwing right-hander, and it's like the opposite look of what you've been looking at over the first five, six innings of the ballgame. So it gives the Cubs a lot of options. The Cubs are a better team today, having made this move than where they were, you know, at this point a week ago. And, you know, it also signals the Reds are obviously slashing payroll, so the division's a little bit easier now. Uh, Reds were a team that was competitive last year. They were competitive the year before with that playoff appearance but it doesn't seem like they're going for it anymore. So nope. the division gets a little bit weaker. The Cubs starting rotation gets better. And it's a little more interesting now as we look ahead to what the rest of this offseason is going to be. Reds are going to lose Nick Castellanos. It seems like that's a fait accompli. Uh, Joey Votto is a year older. And, you know, if there's any guy who's going to still stay productive as he continues to get older and older, it's probably Votto. But time uh, time is undefeated. Nobody, nobody beats time forever. Eugenio Suarez, Eugenio Suarez, sorry, Pat Hughes, Eugenio Suarez had a, a rough year last year. Even if the Cubs couldn't keep him quiet, uh, it's a team that was spending and a team that was trying to build to win. And they are clearly doing the opposite of that. Now that is ostensibly, as you said, another team, no longer competing for the division. So they are dropping like flies. And as always, the division is there to be taken. They're you know, also, uh, oh, sorry. They're also shopping uh, Luis Castillo. So they're clearly not really making a competitive look next year, I feel like. But uh, to be fair, the I do think the Cardinals and the Brewers will be competitive teams next year and will be probably yeah. very good teams. And I do think the Cubs still have a little bit of ways to match that. But this is a good start, I think. Yes. And I think the Cubs have the ability to go out there and spend this offseason and get in that discussion. And I think Wade Miley, $10 million, you know, picking him up on waivers. I think that signifies the Cubs are serious. They said they were serious and everybody we've all been skeptical of how, you know, what it's easy to say things, but you actually have to do it. And I think this is a good first step. Yes. Uh, we're in agreement with that. Also, you know, we don't even know how many teams are going to make the playoffs next year. Right. We don't know yeah. what the playoff format's going to be. That could determine how the rest of the offseason goes too. So plenty of variables in the air, but the Cubs get a little bit more of a, a concrete idea of what the starting rotation can look like. Wade Miley has been in the major leagues since 2011, started with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's pitched all over, and he returns to the National League Central here, staying with the Cubs. Uh, so interesting things here as the uh, offseason gets going. Um, you know, we were planning a little bit later in the show about talking sort of broader about free agent predictions. But while we're talking about the Cubs, here's a question for all of us. What do you think the approach is going to be this offseason? And I guess the, the where I'm going at with that is, do you see a mega contract being offered by the Cubs this season? Do you maybe see them leaning more towards shorter but a lot of money for a couple of guys? So you're taking a risk you're trying to be competitive but you're not locking yourself into some long-term contracts so kind of with that in mind randall 
where do you see this offseason going for the Cubs right now? You know, I don't see them doing any huge contracts. I would love to be surprised. I would love for them to say, look, this window is open. There, there shouldn't be a window. Every year should be in your window. I would love to see them say that. And I would love to see them go out and get a Correa or, or a Seager or some other huge name. I don't think that's going to happen in part because I think the qualifying offer is going to scare them away. But I could absolutely see them. And I do predict that they will bring in a couple of guys on two or three year deals that are bigger money per season. Um, and try and try and bridge this gap and try and make this a competitive roster in 2022. So I don't think they're going to be in on the biggest names, but I think they're going to go out there and get some guy on a, maybe a three year, 50, three year, 60 million contract. That's going to surprise us. And I think it's going to make this roster that much better. And it would not surprise me if that is a pitcher with a lot of strikeouts and a lot of velocity to his name uh, to bolster that rotation, do what Jed says and get some velocity in there. So that's my prediction. I think they're going to bring in, uh, some pitcher with strikeouts to his name on a short year, big money contract. I I think the Cubs are going to do a lot of things. I I think that I I don't, I'm not going to go out and say they will sign somebody to a mega contract, but I, I think they will be in on those guys. I think they will be in all the discussions. I think they will be, um, they might make an offer, uh, if, if, if it's reasonable, I think it's, it makes sense for the Cubs to do uh, sign somebody like that because, you know, a guy like Corey Seager, a guy like Carlos Correa, I don't, I don't think they'll sign court like a Carlos Briggs. I think it'll end up being too, you know, I, I, too expensive for them, but you know, they're 27 years old. Uh, it makes sense to bring in a guy like that for his prime. Even if you don't think next year's the year to compete, Okay, he's still going to be around the year after that, and he's still going to be in the middle of his prime. And I think that makes sense as opposed to bringing in a couple guys who maybe are towards the end of their primes on shorter contracts when we're not sure if next year is really the year they're going to compete. So I, I, I think they will be involved in that, and I think that I think they're going to sign a couple pitchers, and so it would not shock me at all. I would not be surprised. And I and you know all the reports coming out right now are saying the Cubs are doing all their work on all these shortstops and they're involved and they're expected to be involved with a lot of these shortstops. And I, I don't think that's surprising because I think it makes sense for them to be involved with these shortstops. They might get priced out of that and that I can see that, but I think it really does make sense for them to bring one of them in if they're able to. I agree. It makes complete sense. I don't necessarily think they're going to do it, but for the reasons you said, uh, cause you, you'd be spending now to have your shortstop of the future when you're really ready to go for it in 2023 or 2024. I agree. It makes sense for them to do it. I just don't think they are going to do it. And as for the Cubs being mentioned as doing their homework, I mean, it's better to be, I guess, if you're going to delve into the rumors, it's better to be known as being interested in a guy than not being interested in a guy. Uh, I think it is in the best interest of a lot of agents, a lot of representation. Well, I mean, in the last three years, you would never get a report like that about that's completely true. That that's alien to us after the last few off seasons, 19 ahead of 19, ahead of 20 and ahead of 21. So I agree completely. We haven't heard reports like that in a while. And to the extent you want to put stock in those, it's better to hear that than to not. But I also think that uh, it is in the interest of a lot of agents for them to spread the word if completely factual or maybe a teeny bit factual that the Cubs are interested in a guy uh, because that drives the market up on their guys. And, you know, on the day where Scott Boris held his, held his court in front of the microphones, um, you know, uh, agents, their, their job of course is to get maximum money for their guys. Every dollar that their guy earns is a dollar that they earn. So I, I tend not to put a lot of stock in what the agents say. They're doing their job. Scott Boris has his job to do. I respect it. Uh, I don't put a whole lot of stock in it. 
but you're you're right you're right it's better to hear that the cubs are interested in a guy theoretically than to hear that they're not i think we're in agreement the cubs are going to sign a free agent starting pitcher so who is the uh, biggest free agent starting pitcher the cubs sign i i i i yeah i do think they're going to sign a free agent starting pitcher um i but I also think I feel like they're going to be really also active in the trade market mm. to bring in pitching. I feel like that is going to be an avenue that they're going to take. I'm actually interested in what pitchers I, I you know, I know a guy that you really like Ronan is uh, Jeff Gray. And I think obviously that would be John. a name. Yeah, obviously John, not Jeff Gray. <laughs> not, not Jeff Gray was a former Cub. I mean, <laughs> yes. he did pitch for the Cub, So I, I confuse them. Uh, John Gray. I, I always liked Rodon. I'm totally stunned. Actually, both those guys, Stunned, neither of them got a qualifying offer. Rodon makes a little bit more sense to me because you could argue, one, the White Sox payroll is going up. Two, he struggled towards the end of the year in both maintaining velocity and having some injuries. He didn't he didn't throw any games over five innings since July. So maybe the White Sox know something there. So mm-hmm. that I would not be surprised about. It was still surprising. But I think one of those two guys, I could see the Cubs really making an effort to sign. Yeah, I think Marcus Stroman. I think Marcus Stroman is going to be high on their list. I think he's going to be high on their list as their guy. I think he would be a great fit on this team. We know he's got a big personality. We know he's got a lot of talent. Um, uh, Yeah, Carlos Rodon, I'm a little worried on that. Like you said, maybe the White Sox do know something. Maybe they were worried that he was would have accepted that qualifying offer and they couldn't take that risk. You, you know, I you, you don't want to throw stones when we live in the Cubs glass house um, that – you, you, the White Sox wouldn't run a risk bringing a guy back on that 18.9 million qualifying offer. I would be worried about the medicals there because, as you said, the second half of the season was rough on his arm. I would be worried that they do know something and they didn't risk, didn't want to risk him taking up that money to not pitch. So I think Marcus Stroman is going to be high atop the Cubs list because I think he gives you the innings. I think he gives you what you want in your rotation. I would say Noah Syndergaard too. I'm just real worried about the health there. He has not pitched a whole lot the last couple seasons. We know he's got the stuff when he's right. So I would like that name, but it would have to be a really creative deal to protect to protect against any future injury. But Stroman, Stroman is my guy atop the Cubs list. There's a lot of guys out there. I feel like yeah. this is a very deep free agent in a lot of different positions. It's a very deep free agent class, which I feel like is a very good thing for the Cubs because there are a lot of guys out there and the Cubs have a lot of holes. So there should be guys that the Cubs can find to fill those holes. And another name that I don't think the Cubs will probably get, because I think it'll probably be too much for them. But Kevin Gossman is yeah. a guy I've always loved. And it seemed like the Cubs have always loved. And, and he would be a guy I would really like if they were able to bring him in. I think that's top of the line uh, for me in terms of what they can do. Steven Matz, another name I could see the Cubs going for. I think it's going to be more that tier of a starting pitcher versus the guys at the very, very top. Um, But that's not necessarily a bad thing. And you're right. I am a big fan of John Gray. I think wherever he signs and getting out of Coors Field will be good for him. He's been very competitive despite pitching in this weird wacky ballpark down the street. But Rockies pitchers coming to the Cubs, got that Tyler Chatwood PTSD, kind of freaks me out. (laughs) Not fair to John Gray, but I burned because I thought Tyler Chatwood was going to be a big deal for the Cubs. He was Well, he was a big deal for the Cubs, just not not in the way we were hoping. Brett Anderson, didn't he pitch for the Rockies before he came to the Cubs? I think Brett Anderson pitched for everybody before he got to the Cubs. (laughs) That's true. Um, But starting pitching, yeah, I I think that we threw some interesting names out there. Um, Anthony DiScalfani another name that could end up as a Chicago Cub. So starting pitching needs to be a priority. 
It doesn't have to come via free agency. Trade is certainly a viable opportunity. But um, at this point, two or three legitimate starters still would help going into next season. And um, yeah, we'll have a lot more to talk about, certainly on that front. Uh, anything else on Cubs free agency? We'll talk more about the league towards the end of the show. But for either of you guys, before we move into a coaching change here, anything else Cubs free agency that you think is fair game? I think shortstop is going to be real interesting to watch because I know I'm on record a few minutes ago saying I don't think they're going to go in for Correa or Seager, but I can't be positive they won't. And if the Cubs, again, are ostensibly doing their homework per numerous reports, um, it would be nice to be excited about the Cubs signing a big free agent again. We haven't gotten to enjoy that in what will be. Uh, almost four years now, if they sign somebody ahead of the 2022 season, Darvish ahead of 2018 was the last time we really got to enjoy a successful pursuit. I'd enjoy that. I would enjoy the Cubs being in the hunt for a really good player. And then you get to enjoy that couple days where the guy goes to the press conference and he puts on your Jersey and it feels like he didn't just choose your team. It feels like he chose you. Last question. Okay. Is Kyle Schwarber coming home? No, I, I don't think, think so. so. I don't think so. I Break actually I actually will be interested to see if there is a universal DH next year, <clears throat> how the Cubs will handle that. Will they bring somebody in? I mean, they could bring in a Kyle Schwarber or a Jorge Soler or something, bring them back um, to handle that. But I also agree with Randall. I do think shortstop is that's such an impactful position, and they have such an ability to do something there. I, I do think that's the position to watch this year. Obviously, they're going to need starters because they have such holes there. And I think they're going to have to bring in an outfielder. I do. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do there. Well, maybe it'll be all the Reds coming to Chicago, yeah. Castellanos and DeScalfani and all these guys moving to the north side. Chicago of the Reds. Chicago Reds, yeah. We'll go on and win the division next year. Well, uh, the Greg Brown move is official. Cubs have a new hitting coach. We talked about him extensively last week. And then Randall is solely responsible for the Cubs losing their assisting hitting coach. Chris Vileka moving on. He got the top job in Cleveland, so good for him. That's a promotion, great opportunity. But Randall, you know, you were pretty convinced last week that position was done, and now the Cubs need to go get an assistant hitting coach. Well, Ronan, I've seen you do it so many times where you, you definitively declare something over or something not over, and then mere minutes later, the tables turn. So I wanted to try it out for myself. But yeah, I'll own this one. I said, you know, the Cubs clearly like him in that role, and the very next day he goes off and decides to be a guardian. So, uh, yeah, I'll own that one. I, I pushed Chris Vileka out the door, and I apologize for that. But, uh, you know, best of luck to Chris Vileka as the new Guardians hitting coach. So the Cubs have an assistant hitting coach position to fill. And a courtesy of Jed Hoyer, it sounds like they are going to look outside the organization for that. Yeah, and Randall, I'll take some blame as well, because I, I also mentioned about Chris Vileka coming back next year. And to be honest, Jed did say at his end of season press conference when, you know, they let Anthony Iaposi go. That the plan was for Chris Vileka to come back next year. And Chris Vileka got a promotion. He got um, he's now the hitting coach of the Cleveland Guardians, not the assistant hitting coach. So I think had Chris Vileka not gotten a promotion, I think he would have been back next year. Um, but it will be interesting. And it, it, it goes to show once again, the Cubs keep looking outside the organization. They keep looking to bring other people in to have different ideas. And it's nice to see that kind of, I, I saw Carter Hawkins talking today. I saw Jed talking about today about, you know, we're bringing in all these different ideas. We're trying to get a, a new kind of perspective on instead of just being stuck in, in the old school of what they did for the last 10 years under Theo and Jed, which is part of the reason why Theo left according to him. 
You know, he said, you know, sometimes you just get too stale. You're at a place too long. Things get stale. You need to bring in some freshness. So I, I, I like to see them looking outside the organization. And, you know, Jeremy, conceptually, that's an upgrade, too. You go from being a small bear to being a guardian. It doesn't matter what you're guarding. Conceptually, that's generally a promotion as well. You can still be a well. small bear and a guardian. That's true. You could be a small bear and you could be guarding something. That's true. Like honey. Pot of honey. <laughs> or your salmon. You know what surprised me, too? I was in Moab last week. Moab, Utah. I was climbing on some rocks. You see any bears? Small, small bears? Child. Didn't see any bears. Um, desert ravens are Ooh. incredible creatures. Saw quite a few of those. But I saw a small child, maybe uh, six years old or so, climbing on the rocks. Cleveland Indians chief Wahoo hat. And Ooh. I went, wow, that's random. That is random. It just caught there. me by surprise to see a did young you have, child wearing that. Did you have bear spray on you? <laughs> no, no, no. You, no so bears you're not prepared there. for any of the bears in Utah? There's no there bears no, in Utah? There are no bears in that part of Utah, no. There were some deer, but uh, no bears. Did you have any deer spray on you? Majestic uh, deer. My hands. Well, you're going to box the deer. I'll box the deer out if it's charging me. Uh, one deer got actually very close uh, while uh, I was grilling. So I think he liked the bratwurst I was you, making. Oh, I was going to say, were you grilling some elk or something? Was the deer like, <laughs> get venison. the hell out of it? Yeah. <laughs> venison. Deer comes to check out if it, if it knew any of any of the uh, the deer you I were grilling. I hope you didn't feed it the venison. I didn't. No, no. But you know what? I had a moment. And I'm going to share this moment with you both. I don't think I have. Uh, we went out one night to Arches National Park, which is middle of nowhere out there in uh, eastern Utah and it was a new moon so it was dark I could see the Milky Way there were shooting stars Randall I made a wish on a shooting star on your behalf and I can't say it because that would you know ruin it but if it happens this year we will be discussing it on this podcast so oh. you've got something coming the heavens are aligned for you here this year Randall at, at that big from you Coming from you, that sounds a little more ominous than you intended. <laughs> but uh, if I see any packages addressed to me in my my building's foyer, and the return address is the heavens, I'll uh, I'll know where it came from. It was cool though. I gotta say, uh, dark sky country out there, no moon. That's the way to do it. Uh, gotta get both you guys out there next yeah. time you come out to Colorado. We're road tripping to Utah and, and show you some of those mountains. I would love it. I would love yeah. to road trip anywhere from Colorado. That's that's kind of the, I want to be all up in that mountain area. Well, here's a guy who's been all up and up in the mountain area, David Bodie. Yes. The Longmont, Colorado native, uh, played ball in Boulder County. He uh, had that terrible injury in that Padres series at Wrigley Field. Jeremy, you and I were at the ball game that the night. Reds. It was Reds. Reds series. Oh, Reds. I'm sorry. Yeah, not the Padres. We were uh, at that game. It was a day game against the Reds on the weekend. Yeah, goodness, man. I, you know. It was after that freezing ago. cold game you went to with your dad. Yeah. The day after. Uh, I just remember days. the slide, and I remember going, that's not good. And we find out now that David Bodie having surgery on that still shoulder. So obviously, whatever was happening with it, there were lingering problems. And this is kind of an ominous start to the offseason, maybe. Right now, on the other hand, maybe he's getting fixed whatever was wrong. But this is a guy who didn't have a very good season. He's sort of sputtered offensively here the last couple of years, and there's some concern. Now he's going into the offseason with the surgery. I guess it depends how you want to look at it. This is either a good thing for him or a sign that there's some real concern here about David Bodie moving forward. Well, I, I choose to look at it as a good thing. I, I think that that was a, we were there, as we said, and that that was not it looked pretty bad. It did not look good when he was coming off. I was a little surprised that he was able to come back as soon as he was, to be honest. And and I think he was struggling before that, so I'm not going to chalk up his entire season to that injury. But I can't imagine it helped him 
down the stretch, you know, and he had some other freak injury. Like he stepped on that ball on the South side. Yeah. It was ridiculous. He had some other freak injuries, but I think, you know, early in the off season, it was two weeks ago when he had the surgery, they just revealed it now early in the off season, you, you get it all fixed up. He'll probably, he'll probably have to rehab it all off season, but he'll more than, I mean, who knows? We might not even have baseball in February and March, but he'll probably be ready for February and March, you know, to really ramp back up. So I've always been a David Bodie fan and I've always kind of cut him some slack because he hits baseballs really hard. Not always hits him in the air, but he does hit baseballs really hard. So I'm still hope, holding out hope for David Bodie. And I'm looking at this as a positive. Yeah. You know, shoulders like any body part can be real tricky. Um, if there was still something lingering with the, the, the separated shoulder, the one that he injured better to get it fixed now. So I'm going to choose to be optimistic about this. Honestly, I, an injury like that, I wouldn't necessarily trust to heal. And I understand that I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV, but it makes me feel a little more optimistic about his prospects that he got it fixed surgically, just because you have a little more faith in that kind of holding up over the course of the season, as opposed to trying to heal an injury like that, just with time and rehab. So I'm going to choose to take this as a positive, get it fixed now in the off season, uh, and hopefully he can be back to full strength at some time during scheduled spring training, if we don't have spring training, if we don't have spring training, like we're supposed to. Yeah. And I, you know, I felt similarly about Tatis cause he had all those shoulder injuries and I just couldn't imagine him coming continuously coming back from knocking it out. I'm like, he's gonna have to get that fixed at some point. So I just like the idea that Bodie did get that fixed. And so I'm hoping that everything will be fine with him. Yeah. If I'm a Padres fan, I'm going to spend the entire season worrying about Tatis every time he goes to ground for a ball or anytime on a check swing, every time we do that, he's like, Oh, is he grimacing? Is he okay? Somebody get him checked. So good for Bodie for getting that taken care of. He's only going to be 29 next season too. So he's still, you know, relatively young. At least he hasn't gotten to 30 yet. And um, we'll see if he can kind of find a spark, you know, when he hits it, he can hit it far and he can hit it hard. And he's had some incredible moments in a Chicago Cubs uniform, that grand slam a couple years ago, uh, certainly an iconic moment of the last decade and we're pulling for him. So he suffered that injury May 30th. You're right. It was the 10-2 Saturday afternoon win against Cincinnati. Nice blowout win. Jeremy and I got to see in person. Do you remember who was recalled when he was put on the injured list, who the player was that they brought up? Who Was it Wisdom? It was not Wisdom. Who was it? Oh, no, it wasn't uh, Wisdom because he played before that. Yeah, you're right. It was not Wisdom. Too, too early to have been Alcantara? Sergio Alcantara oh, all right. was there the call go. up on May 30th. So uh, throwing us back in time here. Yeah, or- a- Ortega homered in that game, so I knew it wasn't Ortega. <laughs> and that was a good time to be a Cubs fan. They were playing really good baseball at the end of May, and then things blew up just a couple of weeks later. But it's time to be a Cubs recovery. fan to david Bodie, we like him on this podcast we're pulling for him on the show it's been a trying time for him so hopefully he can get it figured out and have some good years still with the chicago cubs um, speaking about guys that we are hoping will have a good couple of years with the chicago cubs a look back at the arizona fall league here randall three chicago cubs prospects named fall stars this year the fall star game is going to be this saturday night on mlb network who are the three Cubs or future Cubs that are getting the spotlight this weekend? Well, Ronan, absolutely. The Cubs are lucky to have three guys who are named to this, this AFL all-star team. Again, fall stars. Somebody in the league office took an early lunch after dropping the, that in the boardroom that day. But first and foremost, Nelson Velasquez, who we've talked about for a couple of weeks now, having an absolutely monster 
uh, AFL run here. He's up to eight home runs and none of them have been cheap. He's been playing a really good right field. He's been racking up the outfield assists and that's notable because uh, a lot of uh, evaluators had viewed him as a, a kind of a DH, an emergency outfielder at best. So clearly he's got a little something to the defense out there, but he's had a great fall. Good for him. And again, he's probably played his way into a 40 man spot and that's real big for any minor leaguer, because if you're double a AA or triple a, and you're on the 40 man, you're a call away from the majors. Mm -hmm. uh, the other position player out of the three is Andy Weber. And he's another interesting case because he was viewed as more of a uh, utility guy, but he's had a great fall as well. The thing that's sticking out to me is he's getting on base at a 427 clip. He's got 17 strikeouts to 15 walks, which is real good when you know when you're those two numbers are that close that says a lot about your approach he's slugging in the afl he's slugging 548 he's done a little bit of everything uh, and again this is a guy who is viewed as more of a fringe guy and that's another reason probably why he ended up in the afl because the cubs wanted one more really good look at him to see kind of what you have in this guy. He's 24, so he's not necessarily a young prospect. But again, he's had a great fall. Good for him. And that's another guy you could see play himself into a utility role at the big league level sooner versus later if they think the bat is there. And then their third Arizona Fall League All-Star. I see why they call it Fall Stars because Arizona Fall League All-Star is a mouthful. Is Caleb <laughs> Killian, who they got, of course, in the Chris Bryant trade. Uh, he has been touching 97, 98 while pitching in the AFL. His trademark command and control, which was one of his hallmarks as a prospect, has been has shown up after a rough start. And that's intriguing. If you have a starting pitching prospect with velocity and command, that's something you want to take a look at. And he's again, he started off pretty rough this fall, but he's turned it around recently. He's turned in a number of really solid outings recently. And so congratulations to those three guys. Um you always want to see your young guys play well, and especially in this format and in this location where you've got top prospect after top prospect. Uh, so it's great to see. And in fact, um, just the other day, Nelson Velasquez went yard off of Pirates pitching prospect Rowan Z. Contreras, and that's a top level prospect in that organization. And Nelson Velasquez took him yard. So again, these are three intriguing guys who probably have futures in the organization and could help the big league team sooner versus later. Congratulations to them. You always want to see your prospects recognized, even in this environment, which is designed to recognize prospects. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Andy Weber. Uh, I've always personally had a thing for like bat first. Uh, major college second baseman. Just, I mean, Chase Frump Ooh. is another one. Yeah, you know me. You got specific uh, interests there, Jeremy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Chase Strump is another one that the Cubs have had, and I've always kind of like like those dudes or middle infielders as well. I mean, Bodie wasn't a major college guy, but he was always on my list. Uh, another one um, uh, being, uh, I, I just like to always uh, like the middle infielders that the Cubs have had: Zach Short, Trent uh, Jambroni, all those guys. But especially specifically major college guys like. Uh, Andy Weber, who went to Virginia, uh, a top baseball program. And I've always been kind of waiting for him to kind of produce a little bit or to, to hit because he's a bad first guy for the most part. And it's nice to see him really uh, taking it in the Arizona Fall League. He had some success in spring training, I want to say, um, this past season. But I like I like seeing him actually produce. And so I'm, I'm very happy to see uh, Andy Weber having success. Will either of you gentlemen be watching this Saturday night, uh, 6 o'clock Central on MLB Network?
Uh, boy, you know, I would. Sadly, I don't get MLB Network most of the time. That's not really a big deal. I have no desire to see Chris Russo or whatever screaming on my television or the other talking heads talking about which teams should pull off some mega trade that's not going to happen. But there are times when I would like to have MLB Network because if I were home, I would absolutely flip on MLB Network to watch this Fall Stars game. Ronan, I know this would this would please you. I'd pop a a, a frozen pizza oh, in the man. oven. I'd get the Fall Star game on, maybe pour a little glass of something. That's how you would spend a, a Saturday night in the fall. Sadly, I uh, do not have MLB Network, and so I'm missing the key leg of the triad there. I'm actually very disappointed in that response right there, Randall. I, no Barnabys. He's going straight oh, for the. Oh man! Well, the, you know, the I don't frozen I don't, pizza. I don't live as close to the Northbrook Barnabys as um, other individuals in this do when they're visiting. Uh, I am closer to one of the other Barnabys locations, but it's just not the same. Oh. Every time I go there, I feel like I'm betraying the Northbrook location. I don't need that guilt on my conscience. Well, I, I if I will probably be flipping. Um, I'm, I probably won't watch the entire thing, uh, especially if there's some good couch football on or some other sporting event, but I will probably be flipping to try to look back to see when the Cubs prospects are playing. And I would like to see, you know, Nelson Velasquez. I would, I would very much like to see Caleb, Caleb Killian pitch. Cause you know, I haven't really seen him much in a Cubs uniform at all. Uh, Velasquez and Weber, at least you get to see, you know, every day kind of performing where Killian only had a handful of starts since the trade deadline. And, and even the cold COVID took out the Tennessee team. So it, it's, it's, you haven't really got to be able to see him pitch much. So I, w- I would really like to see him because, you know, all the reports are about the velocity he's hitting. And I would like to see Caleb Killian actually doing that. So um, I will be flipping over and I'm interested. Ron, Ron, you going to flip over or do you not get MLB net? The answer to, to that question is yes, I'll be watching. And no, I don't have MLB Stream. net. You have ways of watching this. This is something that I do want to watch. And I wish I had MLB network. To be honest with you, um, I think it should be included in the MLB.tv subscription. There should be a full stream of that network, and I would watch it. I'd watch it often on mute, you know, put some records on, put some music on, a podcast, whatever, and just kind of have the highlights and the graphics and that stuff um, because I am a little put off by the commentary. Notice that Scott Braun is doing the play-by-play of the Fall Star game. I've heard him do play-by-play. Not the biggest fan. Just not a guy that I particularly enjoy listening to. Do you know who's doing games. color? Is it Ke- uh, it is Jonathan Mayo oh, and okay. Yonder Alonzo, the former Red. Uh, red. Yeah. Yeah. Um, former, former a lot of teams. Yeah. yeah he got around. He was a, a Red. Bit. Yeah. Yonder Alonso, I'll always thank because he was the reason the Cubs got Anthony Rizzo. The Padres felt they were set right. at first base with Yonder Alonso. They felt Anthony Rizzo was expendable. And I'll always thank the Padres front office at the time for making that decision. I think it was a great decision. And you were absolutely set with Yonder Alonso. Um, yeah, you can get rid of Anthony Rizzo. I got, I got a team that'll take him. I think it worked out. 15th fall star game this Saturday, beautiful ballpark, salt river fields, a talking stick, the Rockies and the diamondbacks, uh, do some things there for spring training. It's in Scottsdale. It is one of the premier ballparks down there for spring training. It should make for a great backdrop, but yeah, I'll be watching. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully the Cubs shine. There've been some great moments this year for Cubs prospects in nationally televised events, Obviously, Brennan Davis going off in the Futures game, two home runs, winning the MVP here at Coors Field. So maybe that is going to continue. We are very excited about the future of the Cubs farm system. It is much improved off of where where it was a year ago today and a chance for some mid-November baseball. What's better than that? I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun to have that on because two weeks from now, things are going to get really ugly here when the CBA expires. Let's enjoy this at least. Yeah, not much baseball going on. I mean, you're you're getting the 
Caribbean stuff a little bit, but uh, yeah. I, it's nice to see some Cubs prospects and you're not going to get any Cubs prospects really uh, going into December. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I'm excited to see it. And uh, as I said, I, I really would like to see Caleb Tillian performing. You know, Randall, I'm still thinking about Kyle Farnsworth and you know what the <laughs> Cubs need to do. We need a Kyle Farnsworth day at Wrigley field, bring him back advertise it. Let me know he's going to be there. I want to be at the ballpark when Kyle Farnsworth comes home. Instead of throwing out a ceremonial first pitch, you can put a crash test dummy just in front of home plate. He can charge it and, charge and it. Uh, plant it into the ground. And the, the, the ceremonial racky tacking instead of the first pitch. They they should do like, you know, what they used to do, like, you know, 40, 50 years ago when they used to have a, the day for a player, you know, come out, you, you bring him out there, you give him a car or something, you know, because most of these guys, didn't really have uh, millions and millions of dollars. So, you know, you gave them something for, you know, what for their service as, you know, off into the future. So I, I would like to, you know what? Cubs got an open spot on uh, in their pitching staff or not in their pitching staff. They play open spots as pitching staff, but I meant to say their uh, coaching staff, pitching, you know, infrastructure. Maybe, maybe Kyle Farnsworth will be out there to fill in for Mike Borzello. I, I can't think of anybody whom I would trust more to be the pitching infrastructure coach than Kyle Farnsworth. He, he screams infrastructure. It's infrastructure written all over him. Yeah, toughness, grit. He, he, he'd bring them all out out of the Cubs. He, he, he would encourage his relief pitchers to play every day. Yeah, well, he would encourage us to not be afraid and to, to you know, if somebody's looking at you, you go tackle them. Exactly <laughs> right. You get, you get disrespected on the field, you take them out. Uh, right. Linebacker style, tackle the guy into the ground. Um, but I would like to see that. Uh, I, I get a little bit disappointed when some of these great players come back and it's not advertised ahead of time. Uh, you know, I would go if I knew that Giovanni Soto was going to be out at the ballpark that night. That could be the difference in me wanting to go out, see him sing the stretch. Um, certainly players like that from my past that I've got that connection with. Um, and Kyle Farnsworth's one of them. Certainly a guy that I've got fond, fond memories of. Well, we've talked a little bit about free agency uh, from the Cubs perspective. We've got lots of weeks here ahead of us to speculate about what's going to be happening in major league baseball, but uh, let's get a couple questions out there at least and kind of see where we're standing here. We are with spring training or not spring training, but free agency rather opening up. Who do you feel Randall? And then Jeremy next uh, is the most coveted or the top free agent that's available this winter. Even if we don't think he's coming to the Cubs, like who's that number one guy that's going to get the big deal. I think it's Carlos Correa for me pretty easily. Uh, I think he and Seager are probably the top two, but I think Seager has some concerns about his defense. I think teams are probably going to be talking to him about moving to third base sooner versus later. Correa does not have those concerns. Correa, we know, is a top flight defensive shortstop. We know what he does offensively. I think he's probably your number one free agent on the market this offseason, and he rejected uh, a sizable offer, an offer that 10 years ago, we would have said that's incredible. And now that's a fraction of what other players have gotten. He rejected that offer from the Astros very recently. I think Carlos Correa is probably your, your number one uh, free agent player of any kind. I think there's no concerns about defense. I don't think there's any concerns about offense. He's 27 years old. He's just about everything you would want in a top ticket free agent signing. I, I agree with Randall. I, I believe Carlos Correa. I think that's probably going to be a universal pick uh, is the top um, free agent. I think that he's improved his defense a lot. And he's a, he, as Randall said, he's an above average defender. I, I, I think that, you know, he pretty much is the entire package. He's only, he just played his age 26 season. So next year is his age 27 season. Um, I, I think he's the guy that every team or 
every team will obviously want, but I think he's the guy that will have the most attention and he will be the biggest uh, domino of this off season. Ronan, who's your number one guy this off season? It's probably Correa. I mean, he's a $300 million guy. And I think the only other player that is likely to get close to that is Corey Seager. But you know, the thing about Correa is he's got that baggage with him too. I don't think it's going to prevent any team from signing him, but you're bringing a guy on that is going to get booed for the rest of his career anytime he's playing on the road. So again, I don't think that's going to phase any team from signing him. It's just an interesting extra element that he brings into the equation. I will say though, I'm all in on this idea of Detroit going hard for Carlos Correa. I love the idea of a team like Detroit going for it. They've got the payroll flexibility. They've got a very strong farm system. Jeremy, you've really been talking them up uh, for many, many months that next year they should be a very competitive team. That would be fun to me. Put them in the American League Central, give a rival there for the Chicago White Sox, and let those two teams battle it out all summer. I'm with you. I think Detroit will be. Uh, kind of a player this offseason, but I don't think it will be for Carlos Correa, although it would obviously make sense. I'm not sure Correa, that's kind of the spot he wants to go to. Um, but I he think likes cars. That's true. Well, he's is <laughs> Correa. Um huh. <laughs> but uh Carlos Correa. But uh um I you were talking about places that will boo him, but I feel like he could take one of those places off the map and go to the New York Yankees, who are gonna boo him the most. <laughs> One of the teams that will boom the most, and it seems like a sensible fit. You know, all those Yankees fans for 2017, 2019, hating on the Astros, hating on the Astros. Carlos Correa signs there. They're going to be pumping them up every minute. Here's another question for you. Out of the blue, who's going to get more money, Freddie Freeman or Chris Bryant? Oh, boy, that is a tough one. I'm going to say... I'm going to say Bryant only because I think Freeman is probably going to give the Braves a little bit of a hometown uh, a little bit of a hometown coupon there, you know, sign one Freddie Freeman, 10% off uh, Chris Bryant. He has nobody really to give a, a hometown deal to, um, you know, we, we know he seemed to have enjoyed his time with the giants. It sounded like the giants aren't necessarily going to prioritize him though, just from the one comment some weeks ago. And, you know, he was only there for half a season. So maybe he'd give him a little bit of a, a discount. Wouldn't necessarily be a hometown discount. Um, but I think Bryant is going to be, a more traditional free agent uh, campaign. I don't think Freddie Freeman is going to go anywhere other than Atlanta. And I think he's going to give up a little bit of money to stay there. Uh, I think that's a really interesting question. Actually. I think that Freddie Freeman is probably, I I think that right now, Freddie Freeman is actually a better uh, hitter, but he's the first, but he's stuck as being a first baseman. And Chris Bryan has that defensive versatility that he brings to the table. And as Randall said, Freddie Freeman is more than likely probably going to go back to uh, Atlanta. Um, so that kind of takes some other suitors off the board if, if they don't really feel like they're serious in being there. So I think because of that reason, just like Randall said, I'm going to lean towards Chris Bryant getting a bigger contract. But I think if I if they were just on the market together, I think Freddie Freeman is probably the more valuable player. And I think he's probably deserving of the more uh, larger contract. You know, all those years that Chris Bryant was in Chicago, the, the number that we heard about him in free agency was $200 million. I don't think either of these players are going to be getting $200 million, Freddie Freeman or Chris Bryant. I actually think Freeman might get more for the opposite reason that you said, Randall, 
because he won the World Series with Atlanta. I don't know that he's necessarily going to give them a hometown discount. They might be willing to give him that extra couple bonus. of million dollars a year because he helped them bring it home and he's the face of the franchise and they love him there and he should stay in Atlanta. I'd like to see him stay in Atlanta. Um, but I, I'm thinking maybe 160 to 175 is maybe a better bet for where both of these guys are going to end up, but it's not going to be 200 million. Yeah, and I, I caught a few minutes of the Braves uh, championship rally last week to a man every one of his teammates got up there on the microphone and they said resign freddie and i think it's danby swanson who said this may get me in trouble i don't care resign freddie yeah i don't i don't see him going anywhere other than atlanta it's interesting uh when you mentioned bryant and you mentioned 200 million dollars i feel like for much of his career probably all of his career $200 $200 million is a number Chris Bryant was rejecting. I, I don't think that was a number he was accepting when he was playing for the Cubs. And I think, and I think the Cubs, I think they would have offered, you know, 200, they probably were offering 200 million around that type of deal. And I think now if that was up to Chris Bryant, I think he would have taken it uh, today. I think he was, he was hoping for a little more. I think he was probably putting himself, you know, Anthony Rendon got what, like 250 million. I think Chris Bryant was probably putting himself a little bit over that. And, um, I, I don't think he's going to get that. And I think that, you know, it's too bad that they weren't able to work something out with the Cubs. Well, you know, his, his agent, uh, Scott Boris, said he's the Sean Connery of baseball. So you can come up with whatever metaphors you like out of that. But Chris, Sean yeah, Connery's dead. Yeah. Well, okay. So hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully he's not the Sean Connery of baseball in that regard. But it, yeah, Chris Bryant's going to be a really interesting free agent campaign. We, we know everything he does. We know what issues he has had. Occasionally, he was staying healthy. He, when he's healthy, he's always produced. But we know he has the versatility. It's going to be really interesting to see where Bryant ends up and to see kind of uh, how much money he gets and what a team intends to use him as. So I, I think he's going to be one of the more interesting free agent pursuits of the last couple of years, especially because he doesn't have the qualifying offer attached to him. Being traded midseason, the Giants couldn't offer him the qualifying offer. So he's going to be a really interesting free agent pursuit. And that's where I'm most interested in seeing who he ends up with. Yeah. Uh, I think that Boris actually, if I saw what he said was he said something like Sean Connor, he's the Sean Connery baseball. Cause he's always in the hunt for October or something. That's what he so, said. Which Scott screwed Boris. up the move. Well, Sean Connery was the captain of the October October. He was not in the hunt for the October. Uh, that would be like Scott Glenn, who was, you know, the, the U S Navy Naval captain. So it wasn't, it wasn't Connery, but uh, you know, I'm on the road. I'm on the record. I'm saying Seattle Mariners. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. I think Brian, I think it's just a fit. I think it makes sense. I feel like Seattle's going to spend. I don't know where you guys think Ronan, you got an idea of where you think Chris Brian's going to go. Seattle's becoming more and more intriguing. And Jeremy gave you a Randall rather gave you a real hard time for that. I last did. week on this I did podcast. do that. I stand by it. I don't think he's going to Seattle. I don't think Seattle is going to land him. But what we're hearing is that Seattle's going to spend some money finally this offseason built around that young core that they have. He could be a great fit up there. Um, New York Mets, maybe for Chris Bryant. Uh, MLB he trade doesn't feel rumors. like a New York kind of guy. No, yeah, really no, doesn't. I'm with you on that. Uh, MLB trade rumors, which I feel at one point in time was a kind of a sketchy website, but they've sort of solidified themselves. It's, maybe. it's not sketchy, but it's still very aggregate-y. You, you know, they, they put out a, a story this week. Um, about the Cubs offseason plans. And they mentioned the Cubs might be interested in trading for a strikeout pitcher. They listed Blake Snell and you Darvish as being potential trade candidates. Like, come on, that's not happening. It's he's coming home. 
Yeah, it, that's not happening. They they may be less sketchy presentation wise, information wise. I don't buy anything that they put out there. But not to not to get off your point, MLB trade rumors said they've got six years one sixty as the magic number for Chris Bryant. If it's six one sixty, do you do it as the Cubs? Do you see the Cubs doing it? I I would do it as the Cubs. Um, uh, I I think it's interesting that uh, the crowd at uh, Fangraphs. Um, they did, they did less than that. They did six one fifty. Actually, that was the okay. median and the average was even less than that. It was, it was 5.6 years as an average and 136 million for Chris Bryant. And I think all of those numbers I would probably do if I was the Cubs just to bring him back. You know, I think he's, he was such an important cog. I mean, I, I kind of give it to him a little bit just for what he means to the Cubs. And I think he means yeah. more of the Cubs than he means to any other team. Um, but, uh, I think he's actually get over that. I, I, I think he's going to get above that. So I, I don't see him coming back here. Yeah, if he if, if that were the final price, I would absolutely have the Cubs sign him. We talk about how the Cubs need an outfielder. They could also use a third baseman so you don't have to start wisdom every day or you could move him around a little bit. Guess who fits that profile pretty well? You know, if, if only there were a Chris Bryant out there, the Cubs could go and sign. I don't think he's getting that little money. I think he's going to get better than that. All right, Randall, I got one more question regarding free agency, and it's just for you. This is a Randall personalized question. Randall special. A Randall special. Is my memory correct that one of the most coveted free agents this year, Marcus Simeon, and you had a moment years ago at Wrigley Field? You had you shared a moment together. He did, yes. When when Marcus Simeon was a White Sox player, he did uh, toss me a ball as I was sitting right on the Cubs dugout at the time. He did flip me a ball as he was coming off the field. Uh, It was a very cold night game against the White Sox at Wrigley Field in 2013. So yes, uh, Marcus Semyon and I have exchanged uh, have exchanged objects. He has tossed an object to me, and I have caught it. So that is correct. Oh, I thought you meant you tossed something back to him, and I was curious no, what no. that was going to be. So I guess it's not an exchange. <laughs> I guess it's just a, a one-way trip. But Would you be for pairing Marcus Semyon with his former teammate, Trace Thompson, who they were both traded to Los Angeles from the White Sox? Well, no, but only because I don't need Trace Thompson on this team wow. in twenty in 2022. Marcus Semyon, Marcus Semyon, I think, would be a very interesting option. I don't know if he necessarily is a shortstop anymore, but... And, you know, the Cubs gave up uh, a pretty pr- their their best trade piece to bring in a second baseman who's kind of locked in at that position because that's the only position he played. So I would have some questions about where you would play him. But if Marcus Semyon turns out to be an option for this team, absolutely. That's a guy who's reinvented himself the last few seasons. He's a, a top three MVP finisher. I don't think he's going to win it, but he's a top three finisher. He, we know he can hit. We know he's got power and we know he can play the infield. It's a question of which positions you would feel comfortable with him at. I don't think he'll come to the Cubs money wise, but I wouldn't be against that at all. Do you still have that ball? I do not. I do not still have that ball. Wow. You, do, you discarded it? Well, it was a White it, Sox, so he's got a trash. It, it was it was given away. Did you Just throw it like back Marcus Semyon? I did not. I did not throw it back on the field. <laughs> he like paid it forward. Uh, Marcus Semyon. Where does he end up, Randall? Marcus Semyon, completely, completely out of left field off the top of my head. I think he ends up with the San Francisco Giants. I don't think they bring back Chris Bryant. I think they bring in Marcus Semyon. I'm going to go with the team you mentioned earlier. I'm going to say that Marcus Semyon ends up with the Detroit Tigers. Oh, okay. Well, I had, 
a lot of laughs today uh just scrolling the internet seeing all the white Sox fans figuring out how he's going to end up in the mix coming yeah. back to the south side that's not happening folks no no i don't think so i, I he's I'm, gonna see he's gonna see tony la Russa standing there he's gonna do the grandpa simpson where he walks in the, the door puts his hat on the rack turns right back around grabs his hat and walks out the door yeah great episode uh i think Marcus Semyon, we're here. I think that White Sox are going to have an interesting offseason because they're already kind of way up on payroll than they were last year. So I'm not exactly, and almost, you know, in their history, they haven't had much, this much payroll. So I'm curious to see how they're going to, um, what they're going to do to try to improve their team because right field is probably an issue. And, you know, Rick Hahn the other day said, um, I don't think he necessarily said that it's going to be Andrew Vaughn or Gavin Sheets, but he said they're like bullish on it. Those guys on um, their prospects when they asked him about what they're going to do for right field and they picked up Kimbrell's option and that's like 16 million right there. And they're trying to trade him, but that's weird to me because if he's good enough, if some other team thinks he's good enough to pick up the $16 million, then he's probably good enough for you to to pitch for $60 million. And if some other team doesn't think that and you have to pay them down or whatever, you're not going to really get much back or, you know, you're in your team that's trying to compete now. So you, I, I just feel like if they're going to trade them, it's going to be some sort of bad contract swap, or maybe they get a guy kind of like Kimbrell where he's expensive, but they think they can get something more out of him, even though he had a couple down years. Or something like that. It's just a weird situation to me. Well, he's not even pitching at the moment and the white Sox still continue to put Craig Kimbrell in an odd position. I was kind of hoping they would decline his option. The Cubs would bring him back on the cheap and he regains his form. And suddenly you've got 2021 Craig Kimbrell pitching for you again in a season where you maybe have slightly higher hopes. And Jeremy, I would like to say as Kimbrell was acquired by the White Sox and his first couple outings with them where he was starting to struggle, I said to you in our, our famed group text that Kimbrell for whatever reason, just can't pitch in the eighth inning and the White Sox are misusing him. And you said, oh, that's confirmation bias. It's a sample size. I think you actually hit me with a, a meme from the Simpsons about the, the bear spray or the bear, the bear guard or the anti-bear rock, something like that, uh, of, you know, confirmation bias. And Tiger. what happened? Keeps what was it? Away. Tigers, tigers away. I beg your pardon. Sorry, tigers. And of course, what happened? They continued to use him in that role and he continued to struggle. Yeah, and eventually you had that doesn't confirm it. it. I'm just saying the White Sox continued to use him. Their brilliant manager uh, continued to use him in and that, that rock still role. kept Tigers away. OK, so you know, Tony La Russa is the rock that kept Craig Kimbrell's success away. I think I, I think Ken Kimbrell had some issues. I think obviously his mechanics probably got out of whack somewhere. He had issues before with the Cubs in the ninth inning for a year and a half and he couldn't find it. And I think he probably reverted to that. And so I, I don't really think it's, a, I mean, if you could pitch in the ninth, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. You can't pitch in the eighth for the most part when the ninth is really the real stressful inning supposedly. Cause everybody says, well, you can pitch in the eighth, but you can't pitch in the ninth. They say the opposite. Well, you so know I what? Think some, Kimbrell, some guys uh, need, some guys need that. They that have to have that injection of adrenaline. But that eighth inning is also stressful. Like he was put in some high stress eighth innings that were similar to ninth innings. You know, I don't, I don't put a whole lot into a player being clutch or a player not being able to do something. I think that's skill. The one thing, the one concession I will make is I think late inning pitchers have very specific grooves and very specific roles that they need to fill. And that if you take them out of that role, it can screw them up pretty badly. That's the one kind of non-tangible thing in baseball that I believe in is that certain guys need to pitch in certain spots or it just knocks them completely out of whack. But also I want to say great Simpsons episode. 
let the bears pay the bear tax. Yes. I pay the Homer tax. You know, that's a phenomenal episode. And, you know, Randall, you're a creature of habit too. So uh, I see how you can kind of see that with, especially those relief pitchers who have some quirks, but it works for them out in the bullpen. Uh, We've got a lot more free agency to talk in future episodes. Uh, Next week, we're also going to revisit our preseason awards and predictions that we made way back in March. And goodness, we're going to eat some crow for some yes. things that we thought were going to happen this year. You might year. think we're smart, but we said some dumb things. Yeah, we did. We did. We ordered the platter-sized helping of crow. It's being catered. Uh, it's being it's going to be delivered next week. So get we'll, we'll get our forks, knives, napkins, and a little bit of salt and pepper ready. Well, we got a couple minutes here on the show. We want to end outside of Major League Baseball. Um, quick thing on the Bulls here. We've kind of talked about that. There's not a whole lot to say there. Great win for them tonight at home against a good Dallas team. So the Bulls continue to roll. Awesome to see that happening. I want to talk Bears. I want to talk college basketball. Randall is waving me down like someone on an airport, uh, you know, tarmac here. What What do you need, Randall? Let's Real talk- quick, I want to toss this in. I meant to last week. Of course, our regular contributor, Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather fame. He and his lovely wife, Eileen, were finally able to celebrate their wedding this past weekend. Uh, things are a little safer now. They were finally able to hold a celebration for their wedding. So retroactively, we congratulate both of them on finally being able to celebrate that. Many happy returns, Alexander yeah. and Eileen. Hey, my sister yeah, had her wedding this past weekend, or the one that I did not officiate. All right. All right. It's that time of the year, man. Folks yeah. are falling in love, getting married. Uh, let's talk about some happy things here. College basketball is back. How cool is that? I wish you folks could have seen Jeremy yesterday. His Illini with half the team not playing, had a convincing win, exciting times, all that for the uh, blue and orange down there. But Jeremy yesterday, the only thing I can compare it to is when my dog Huxley sees a squirrel. He just shakes violently. That was Jeremy yesterday watching the beat up Illini take care of business. You got a lot of excitement around that team in Champaign right now, and rightfully so, but it must be good to have the team back. It is good to have a team back, and I like how you're witnessing witnessing me watch the uh, Illini game while I was at the Blackhawks game. Exactly, so I got I've got a system. I had it on my phone a little bit, so <laughs> uh, checking out. But yeah, you know when you're missing maybe your three best players. Yeah, um, it is a little bit of a scare, including your two best ball handlers. Maybe it's a little bit of a scare when you start the season. Obviously, Kofi being suspended for. In my opinion, BS because what he did is illegal now to do in college basketball. He sold, he just sold his gear last year. So, because he didn't think he was coming back and then he decided to come back. And then, like a week later, they changed the rules and now you're allowed to do that. But he still got suspended, whatever, uh, for three games. And then losing, you know, Andre Curbelo, who's your stud, uh, coming back sophomore, and, and Trent Frazier, who's a six year senior. Um, you're probably your best ball handlers, you know. First game of the season, you had a couple exhibition games, but that's a little bit of a risk. So to see the guys come out, guys that were not expected to do much, come out and win by 24, like that's that's fine. That's fun. And and hopefully we can get healthy and get Kofi back. Indiana held yeah, off a late run there from Eastern Michigan, but they got the win. First win for the new head coach. Northern Illinois, those pesky Huskies who are coming off a big win of their own, will be down at Assembly Hall Friday night. Northern Illinois and Indiana rivalry. Um, that's yeah. a big one in our text chain is that that's, Northern Illinois, Indiana game. Oof. And those were the two schools. And for me for college, it was either NIU or Indiana. And I ended up going to Bloomington, Indiana. So uh, this is a personal screwing over some of our friends, <laughs> uh, but good to have college basketball back. That was very exciting. A double header at Madison square garden last night was cool. Um, let's end with this though. 
That was one of the worst Chicago Bears football games, folks. Monday night football in Pittsburgh, about a dozen penalties for the Chicago Bears. And I'm going to start with this. That taunting call that ended up screwing the Bears, it didn't necessarily cost them the game. They cost the game themselves. But a terrible taunting call late in that ball game. Um, just a very embarrassing sort of display on national television Monday night. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Joe West is retired as an MLB umpire, but clearly, clearly so many other officials are inspired by his, his example and his example of inserting himself into the game. Ridiculous. The, the referee goes out of his way to make contact with a bears defender and then pulls the flag on him. It's beyond asinine. It's embarrassing. The NFL should be embarrassed for themselves and for their official. And they, the way they've doubled down on it and given the official a chance to say, no, I think it was appropriate. And then the league says it's appropriate. It's asinine. That's ridiculous. They should be ashamed of themselves. And given that the, the Steelers went ahead and scored a field goal on that drive and the Bears lost that game by that same field goal, I, I, I'm willing to say I'm willing to say that the Bears didn't just beat themselves. It's ridiculous. Jeremy, the uh, league today said posturing was the problem on the taunting call there, and it was a legitimate call. Give me a break. The whole taunting thing is just nonsense. It, it's the most ridiculous thing. I can't believe that's a point of emphasis this year. I don't. Mike Tomlin was on the competition committee that, uh, you know, put that in, and and I don't understand why he would be for that. But um, it's just ridiculous. That that said. I do think it's a little weird. Like there was probably no reason for Cassius Marsh to even walk over towards the Pittsburgh Steelers sideline. There's no reason for him to do that. I don't think it deserved a penalty, but you kind of know the taunting rules. There's no reason for him to walk over there. He should have turned around to walk back. I don't think, but I don't think Carrente was going to throw the flag. I mean, I know he was reaching for it, but I don't think Carrente was going to throw the flag until he made contact the bump with Marsh. I think he was debating it in his head. Maybe he would have thrown it, but I think he was like 50-50 on it. And when he bumped into Marsh, which Carrente is the one that backed up into him, he might not have seen it that way. Or, or according to Carrente, he didn't even realize he bumped into him, which is completely has a nine, or as Randall would say, ridiculous. But uh, I think that made up his mind. You know, I got the I, – I, I, he, he was taunting, whatever, and then he bumped into me, and I'm not happy about it. He throws the flag. But there's a lot of other plays that just, just – bad officiating there was that that block on the td yeah. the the chop block where uh Carrente was asked about it or uh there was no contact even made on the play tj walk didn't even get hit and Carrente was like well i have to judge in that situation that he got hit which judge, doesn't make sense because judge your ass hit. judge your ass referees judge <laughs> your ass, uh, judge judge ass. ass Carrente. uh but uh you know there was back calls and then you know uh, they're all those offsides at the end. I guess, you know, they probably were lined up in the neutral zone, but come on. Like this is the final yeah. drive of the game. Uh, just ridiculous of the guys on it. And if you look, you know, uh, uh, there were some pictures posted today, like TJ Watt was kind of in, not that would have changed the field goal because apparently he missed it by nine yards instead of off the crossbar. Like Steve Levy said, which I thought based on the angle it hit. Uh, but, uh, you know, TJ Watt was probably in the neutral zone on that last kick. So, like, if you're going to call it one way, call it the other way, in my opinion. Um, it, it was just a, just a mess. But what I will say is despite all of that mess, for really the first time, I, there were some couple moments against the 49ers, but really the first time last night in the second half of that game, I really felt good about having just. I mean, I, I like having Justin Fields as quarterback. I really felt seeing it on the field. I felt good like this guy's improving. Yeah. He's making it happen. He's made some absolutely baller plays. He's a stud. He looks good. And I thought 
it was nice to see on a national stage. And so I was very excited to see that from Justin Fields. Justin yep. Fields is the damn truth. He is the goddamn truth. And I can't wait to see him playing under a new head coach next season. <laughs> well, that's the most important thing this year, his development, his growth week to week. And he's doing it right in front of our and eyes. That's going to save Matt Nagy's job. Well, no, you know, the, the thing about <laughs> it is, uh, you know, on one hand, Justin yeah. Fields playing better is the most important thing this year. That's what we need. But the losses guarantee the departure of Matt Nagy. But, you know, I, it doesn't matter what they do the rest of the year unless they win out, which isn't going to happen. Matt Nagy's gone. Ryan Pace is gone. We're going to have a new front office here uh, because the, the team is woefully underprepared. And in the case of Ryan Pace, you've got an aging roster, a bad roster, all of these years into, your re, into you being in control of it. There's no way he's coming back. Just wait till George McCaskey and Ted Phillips are on that podium and they're saying, you know, we really like the progress that Justin Fields made this year. You know, we lost some games, but we think Matt Nagy is really making them happen with don't Justin say Fields. No, I, don't speak it into I, existence. After last night, I didn't think don't it was going to happen until last night and he started playing well. And I'm like, people are like, oh, well, it's good they lost because Justin, I'm like, well, actually watching that game, I can find, I feel like they're going to find justification in that game because he played so well. Bears get a breather here. They are next playing at home November 21st, Sunday, a noon start against the Baltimore Ravens, already a team with six wins. So we'll see what happens. But it's the Lions after that. So there is sort of a break here in the horizon for the Chicago Bears. Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, Thanksgiving Day up there in Detroit City, the future home of Carlos Correa. Well, we had a lot of fun here. Kyle Farnsworth, wherever you are in the world, we're thinking about you tonight. We're on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Please give us a follow. And uh, hey, thank you, Stan. Um, one thing I forgot to mention earlier, he tweeted it to us earlier. You want to have some fun tonight, folks? Go on Twitter, type in Randall J. Sanders, type in Wade Miley. You'll get many, many years of Randall talking about the Cubs' new left-hander. We'll see how he's feeling about him in a couple of months when he's on the mound at Wrigley. Yeah. I have no comment on the matter. I regret nothing. <laughs> do it, folks. Hop on Twitter, do the search. You'll laugh. For Jeremy and Randall, this is Ronan. We'll see you next week, number 45 of Behind the Yellow Line.